These words again from 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 15. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Last week we began the message by saying that these words, Be ye holy, might possibly be some of the most important words in all of the Scriptures. They are words that are filled with all manner of, of seemingly impossible demands, especially to our souls that sometimes seem to us to be barely saved. And so as we read these words, we immediately want to say, but how can this be even remotely possible, that I would be holy because I know myself and I know the wretchedness of my soul? And folks, I can't count the number of times that I have heard well-meaning friends respond and say such things as, well, God does not really expect us to be perfect or really holy in this life. We'll only be perfectly holy when we get to heaven. And I do know what they are trying to say. But we really should be careful as we think and say such things. Because here, in these words, God is actually giving a command to all who call upon His name to be holy, for us to be holy. And then he adds over in Matthew 5, verse 48, to be ye perfect. Be perfect, he said, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Folks, holiness is ever so important to God. And because we hesitate to believe that our wretched souls could ever really be holy, we live much of our lives stuck within a dilemma of belief and unbelief. And we pray... Father, help mine unbelief as I observe my own soul as it wrestles with this dilemma. I see that I continually attempt to rationalize these matters using my own personal abilities of wisdom and knowledge. But I know that that is never enough. Our personal abilities of wisdom and knowledge is never enough to discern the mind of God. Thankfully, God offers me relief by turning my eyes to such truths as found there in 1 Corinthians 2. Truths that speak about a special secret wisdom that will come to me from God. Secret wisdom that's able to explain those unknowable things of God to my wavering soul. Listen to these words in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 6. We speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But listen, no, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory, your and my glory, before time began. A secret wisdom. Now I confess that I don't know all the possible implications that are involved with this special secret wisdom from God. But I do believe and trust that it includes such wisdom as it would take for us to know how to become holy, for us to be holy in His sight. His secret wisdom, we know, begins by revealing to us that our holiness must have at its core base, at its beginning, the salvation of our souls. That is an absolutely essential first step. We cannot be holy otherwise. There, There really is no other way. And then also as part of the salvation that we receive from Christ, we receive also the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit. His 
secret wisdom that we read about reveals to us that those two essential beginnings are all part of God's special divine plan, a plan that is a very narrow pathway that while it is difficult, is filled with every provision that we will ever need along our way towards the holiness that he is asking us to have. And he speaks about that. How does that take place? He speaks about that in 1 Corinthians one thirty, where he tells us, it is of God that Christ is in you, in me, wisdom, holiness, righteousness, and redemption. It's all this plan. God the Father, it is of him that Christ then becomes in you and me, wisdom, holiness, righteousness, and redemption. Consider those words with me for a moment. Because it's within those few words that many of our questions and our concerns about how we can be holy are answered for us. Within those words is that secret wisdom that the very person of Christ comes into our being and brings with him this blessed provision for holiness. As I prepared this message, my thoughts went to a similar struggle of a 16th century Roman Catholic priest, Martin Luther. He was stuck in this dilemma. Deep within his heart, Martin Luther could sense that there was something glaringly amiss in the relationship that he knew that he was supposed to have with Christ, with God the Father. And as he searched the scriptures to find what he was missing, his focus became set on the words of Romans chapter 1 and then specific the words of verses 16 and 17. Let me read those for you. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And listen, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, from first to last. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. From these words, Martin Luther realized that the salvation of his soul and then everything else that would follow on in his relationship with God must come through faith in Christ alone from first to last. That it was not of works that he would do or any other thing that he might accomplish, but through faith in the person of Christ and Christ alone. From that one understanding of God's plan, Martin Luther became this prominent force in the beginning of the Protestant Reformation of which we are part of. And may I say, Martin Luther had his doctrine exactly right. Everything from first to last is Christ. Everything from first to last is Christ. Nothing added. It is of God that Christ Jesus has become in you, in me, wisdom, holiness, righteousness, and redemption. Christ is the secret wisdom from God that he speaks about here in these words. He is the first cause of every soul to hunger for salvation. He puts eternity in our hearts so that we would hunger for that eternal salvation. And then to move on from that hungering into finding, knocking, asking, seeking, and finding the salvation of Christ. It is through his indwelling presence that our soul desires to be and to do those holy things. It's through that shed blood of Christ that we are washed clean from our sins and we're redeemed from 
the bondage that has so controlled our lives. It is the indwelling presence of the Spirit of Christ that causes us, causes you and me, to want to be holy. And then to have the holy behavior that comes out of being holy. Those words again. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And again, where does that holiness come from? It is of God that Christ Jesus has become in you and me holiness. That's where it comes from. As we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord, this actually takes place within you and me. The very person of the Spirit of Christ comes to dwell within us, bringing with him holiness. That's why we're able to be holy. And yes, I know that we've heard such words as these so many, many times. But how, how much do we really believe them? If you're like me, I can read these words over and over again and it not go much past the first part of my intellect. How much do we believe these next words? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You recall in John 3 where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now here was a teacher of the law that did not understand what Jesus was saying, and he should have. And Jesus rebuked him for it. But that's what's taking place in these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Something I say to us often. If we believe John 3.16, we also have to believe this. In you receiving Christ as your personal Savior, you became new inside. Recall in the message as we closed last week, we said that we must first be holy before we can ever hope to do holy things. I want you and I to understand that that's an absolute. That being must come before the doing. I asked my nephew to do some holy things as he drove away. He did not do holy things. He could not. He did not have the holiness of Christ living within him. He had not been changed. I wanted badly for him to at least attempt. But there was a foolishness in my thinking. You and I cannot do holy things unless we are holy on the inside. You and I can't ask other people to do holy things. Yes, we can ask them to obey the laws of God. But they cannot do holy things. Not without being holy. What God was doing in saving us as we received Christ as Savior and Lord, He was actually changing our very being within us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a whole new creation. Old things have passed away. The old self within me passes away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the point in which 1 Corinthians 1, that I've been reading to you here, takes place. The old creature is done away with and God makes the being within us into an entirely new creature, one that can receive the person of Christ and his holiness and his righteousness and his redemption. May I say that again? The spirit of Christ comes into your and my spirit and changes our very being. Do you believe that? 
We must. From that very first moment that he begins to abide within us, our old nature is washed away. Washed away. And he puts a new nature within us. Read Ezekiel 36. He said, I will put a new heart within you. And not only that, I will put a new spirit within you. And then I will put my spirit within you. We could not receive his spirit until we had a new spirit within us so that he could then put his spirit in our spirit. That's what he's talking about here. Our nature, our very being changes. And may I also say that these words clearly imply that the change is immediate. Immediate. The word here, behold, all things have become new. They give the clear understanding that the change is immediate. Have become new. There is a past tense from the moment that we receive Christ. Everything has become new at that point. Now, I know we immediately protest and say, oh, but I sure don't feel much like those profound changes have been made in me. I'm still being tempted and drawn to some of my old ways. And that's true. That's true. Those temptations are real and they're difficult. What then has taken place if everything is new within me? What has taken place is exactly what he has said here. Our nature, that nature within us is changed. The very foundational core of our being has been made new. By putting a a new nature within us, God has prepared our soul then to begin to make all those changes in our behavior that wisdom and righteousness and holiness will bring. If our old sin nature had not been done away with, then we would not have been able to in any way join with the Spirit of Christ to begin to change, to begin to resist and to turn away from those old ways of sin. Think about that for a moment. Before the change, while we were still consumed with our old nature, as those temptations to sin would present themselves to us, our nature had no real desire to resist that sin. If it felt good, we would do it. We could not think otherwise. Our old nature would simply use its own logic and then would do what it thought was most pleasing to it. If on occasions now we did sense a danger, perhaps, to uh, in, in a temptation that might be coming to us, that perhaps our safety or whatever might be in peril, we might make another decision. We might turn away from those temptations to sin. But listen, the decision to resist those temptations and that sin had nothing to do with holiness or righteousness. It was simply another self-centered, self-preserving decision. Unholy people cannot make holy decisions. It's as simple as that. But then once the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, moves in and begins to abide within our spirit, a whole other manner of thinking begins to take place. We're actually convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment. Something that had never taken place before. We view that temptation in front of us very differently. Where do we read about that? John 16, verse 8. When He, the Holy Spirit, has come, He will convict the world, you and me, of sin and righteousness and judgment. Folks, listen. This is how this impossible command from God becomes possible. This impossible command from God to be ye holy 
becomes possible for your and my weak and wicked souls. And it's just as Martin Luther concluded, it is all of Christ, all of Christ from first to last. When we receive him as our Savior and Lord, everything changes. His spirit comes to live within us and we become new creatures. The old nature is gone. We have a completely new nature. And as the spirit of Christ continues to abide within us, he becomes our wisdom, our holiness, our righteousness and our redemption. And we begin then to behave. Our conduct, spoken about there, our, our conduct starts to become holy. Now yes, lest we give the impression that God gives us a completely free ride in this holiness, we do know that we should remember and realize the realities of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and their wretched effects on our behavior each day. Yes, we do have a whole new nature within us, a nature that no longer wants and desires to sin. But then suddenly with only what would seem like a nudge from either of those three ungodly ones, the world, the flesh, and the devil, our old nature then seems to want to, though it is dead, rise up. And also we have memories of how we enjoyed what that old nature did within us. We can even remember some of those old hatreds that we had. And we can start all over again to despise someone that we used to despise before our nature was changed. But that's when you and I must begin to do our part. And according to 1 Corinthians 10.13, the Lord will give us that little nudge back towards Him that no temptation has come to us but what is common. But He'll give us a way out. And suddenly then we'll turn, and this is what we'll do. James chapter 4. Verse 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. James gets tough there, doesn't he? He doesn't pull any punches. He says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Those words sound an awful lot like someone who has gone too many steps down the wrong pathway already. And that really can happen to us. Even with this new nature living within us, our old habits, our old behaviors just seem then to want to rise up because that old nature, though it is dead within us, seems to reach back and grab hold of us. But folks, listen, the answer is always the same whether we are just at the edge of sin or we're already knee-deep in it. You and I must therefore submit to God. Stop what we're doing and submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's the way to get rid of the demonic influence, those temptations. You draw near to Christ. You pick up that Bible and you sit down and you give your whole heart to him in reading and in prayer. And all that temptation goes away. The demons cannot bear to be in the presence of Christ. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. I'm reminded of Peter as he walked out there onto the water to Jesus. He was doing well until suddenly he looked around and he saw the storms and then he started to sink. But he knew who to call on. And Jesus reached over and did this, exactly what it says here in verse 10 of uh, James chapter 4. 
Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Before we close, may we re-say some of these basic truths that God intends by this command, be holy, for He, God, is holy. First, God is here telling us that it is His nature, His nature to be holy. And that from the first moment that we are saved, we become part of who He is. We in Him, He in us. And because He is holy and can be no other way, so also you and I must be holy. Otherwise, we can have no part in Him. That is an ever so unyielding demand on the part of God. God can have it no other way. He is truly holy and He cannot violate His holiness by allowing you and me who are in Him to be unholy. And there's a, another simple truth that prevails within the behavior of all men. Out of our being comes all the behaviors of daily life. Out of our being, out of our nature, out of our worldview comes all the behaviors of daily life. If our being is corrupt, then so also will be the behaviors. It can happen no other way. A corrupt being is incapable of doing holy things. If you and I ever hope to be holy, then we must allow Christ Himself to be our way, our truth, our life, to be our nature. You and I must have Him as our Savior and Lord, especially the Lord of our life, and to allow Him to come in and be our being and to change our being into a new creature, a new spirit that then can receive His holiness and His righteousness and His wisdom and His redemption. Folks, that is how you and I can be holy. And so I say to you and me, be holy and you can be in this life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It is of God that Christ Jesus has become in you and in me wisdom, holiness, righteousness, and redemption. Let's pray.